Tonight, we're finishing up our series called Jesus is the Subject. We've been looking at becoming more and more like Christ, doing the things that he did, transforming our attitudes, our thoughts, and our actions, and and really just looking to him, you know, setting our eyes on him as our source and perfecter of our faith. We've used Ephesians 4.15 as a way to focus on we are speaking the truth in love, becoming in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The first week, we talked about purpose and priorities, because Jesus knew his purpose. He came to save the lost, and he aligned his priorities to fulfill that purpose, and he was intentional about everything that he did having to meet that purpose. And we looked at our purpose as people made in the image of our Father, that our purpose is in all we do, we point back to him and give him the glory. Because we're Christ's ambassadors. We're here on a mission to witness to the King of Kings. The thing we need to remember is, are our priorities and our actions, our decisions, are they glorifying him? Or are they making him look bad? Are we seeking first his kingdom? Are we focusing on the things that have the eternal value or just the things that give us a short-term happiness? Then we looked at Jesus' prayer life because he prayed often. He prayed in critical moments. He prayed before decisions. And he prayed with others. And he prayed for others. And he prayed with humility. He didn't go to the Father with just a grocery list of things that he wanted. He went to the Father glorifying and praising the Father for who he was, first and foremost. And then he prayed for others. Remember at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to be arrested, he was praying for us. He was praying with humility. Remember, our prayers are supposed to be a response of his love for us. It's a way for us to worship and praise our Father. It's a way to seek that relationship with him. Not just ask for this and that and this and that. Parents, when your kids are little, Daddy, can I have this? Mommy, Mommy, can I have this? But how glorious it is when our kids just come up and say, Mommy, Daddy, I love you. What a difference that makes, right? When praise is on our lips for God, our whole focus shifts to what he wants, not what we want. And then we talked about Jesus' compassion. What we did was we looked at the woman who had been thrown at Jesus' feet, caught in adultery. And what he did, he acted with compassion. He loved on her. He didn't condemn her. He tried to save her, not shame her. He tried to help her, not humiliate her. He knew exactly what she needed. And then we looked at the man that was healed of leprosy. When Jesus could have healed him with just a word, but instead he reached out and he touched him because he knew that that would have a bigger impact on the man and on all those that were watching. Then we talked about servanthood. 
because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We were created to serve as well. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's through God's grace that we're supplied with everything we need to do what he asks us to do. We're distributors of his word in the world. Because of his grace saving us, his grace then gives us everything we need to go out and share that grace with everybody out there. Our servanthood is supposed to produce fruit. It's not just about results. Kind of think of it as the Johnny Appleseed illustration, you know, that folklore, Johnny Appleseed, just throwing those apple seeds everywhere. And eventually, those seeds grow up to be apple trees. And those apple trees will produce more fruit and more seeds, will then become more apple trees. And that's what all of this is about. For us, this servanthood, this compassion, our purpose, it's all about planting seeds so that God can then in turn water them and produce more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. That's why we're here. That's what it's all about. So now we know our purpose. We've talked about the purpose of our prayer life and the importance of our prayer life. We've talked about compassion. We've talked about our acts of servanthood. Now what are we going to do with it? We're going to be bold because Jesus was bold. He had a courage in speaking out and doing what was right, no matter what other people thought or said. He did God's will despite the hardships that faced him because he knew he had God on his side. We're going to open up in, in the fourth chapter of John. Now Jesus is on his way to Galilee, and he's passing through Samaria. But most of the Jews of the time didn't go that way. They would go the long way because they hated the Samaritans. They were despised by the Jewish people. They were considered idolaters, hypocrites. And the second thing before we read this story, the Jews would never, ever be seen talking to a woman in public. Not even their own mother, not their own sister, wife or daughter. In fact, it was common for a Jewish man to start the day with a prayer, thanking God that he wasn't a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's how they felt about woman. So let's open up to fourth chapter of John, starting in verse 6. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, this time of day, noon, is important because it's the hottest part of the day. No one goes to the well at the hottest time of the day. The usual time of day that a woman would visit the well was in the evening, just before sundown. But our Samaritan woman comes early, quietly, by herself, probably to stay hidden, to stay unknown. Picking up again in verse 7, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, 
And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus continues his conversation with her, causing her to become more and more curious about who she's talking to. And he responds with a truth that's wrapped up in love. He never condones her choices, neither does he condemn her. He only shows her the love and acceptance and the life that's available to her. Until in the final moment, he reveals himself as the Messiah. Verse 25 says, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You get it? This is the first time in scripture that Jesus tells anybody that he's the Messiah. And he picks this woman who is a Samaritan woman and a woman. Wow, if that's not bold. He hasn't, even, he hasn't told the disciples. He's been walking with them, and they don't even know who he is yet. Picking up in verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She left her water jug beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see. She's no longer quiet. She's no longer trying to remain hidden and unknown. She's now become bold. When we come face to face with Jesus, we should be changed. We should be transformed in such a way that people take notice. Can you imagine what her village was thinking when she came running back? The woman who they had you know, ignored and pushed aside, and she comes running back to the village. Listen, listen, you've got to come and see this man. He's the Messiah. Can you just imagine what they thought? But if we're claiming to be followers of Christ, then people better see a difference in us too. If there's no difference in our lives from before we encountered Jesus to after, better go back to the well we better go back and say Jesus did I, do I re- did I really meet you or or was I just maybe kind of excited about hey hey I heard about this guy or you know Lord are you really my savior because I'm not seeing a difference in my life so maybe I didn't really meet you 
We cannot come face to face with Jesus and not be changed. The apostles, after Jesus died, they were scared and they scattered. But after they watched him ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended upon them in the upper room, they were changed. They weren't the same men. Let's turn to Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Actually, yeah, we're starting in verse (laughs) 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And here we are. There's a crowd of people now around Peter and John. What an opportunity that God has put right before Peter and John. And so what does Peter do? He seizes it. He takes the opportunity and he starts to preach and teach about Jesus as his Messiah. In verse 12, he starts saying this. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, What is so surprising about this, and why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know him crippled. You know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. That's bold. He's in their face and telling them, you are the bad guys. You guys killed him. The guy who just healed this man, this man just stood up and walked. You knew he was crippled, and yet Jesus healed him. That's the same guy you just killed. Wow, if that's not bold. So Peter keeps going. He reminds some people that this was the Messiah that God promised to their ancestors, going all the way back to Abraham. But you had him killed. But the priests and the Sadducees, they get angry. 
So they arrest Peter and John, and they keep them in jail overnight. Then the next day, they bring them out again, right before the rulers, the scribes, and the elders. And we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 7. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Just imagine the jaws of the elders out there. How dare he? How dare he? That's our human thought. But listen to how they respond. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. So all of you, you have no excuse. Oh, I don't know it. I don't know it. I don't know what to say right there. Doesn't matter. (laughs) When you're in the moment, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and met among themselves. What do we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in, commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Listen what Peter says. But Peter and John reply, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Wow! Bold! 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 There were three signs of their boldness. First one, it was visible. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter. It was undeniable. It was vocal. Peter didn't shy away from claiming the healing power that was from Jesus Christ. He was thrown in jail for preaching Jesus and standing before the elders after being thrown in jail coming back out. He still preaches Jesus. And it was valiant. At the end, when they say, do not preach in Jesus' name again. Ha, that's what you think. We're going to keep obeying our God, and we're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. 
was visible, it was vocal, and it was valiant. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers, and they told them what the priests and the elders had said, and when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. We pick up in verse 29. This was their prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind. So where's that boldness come from? How do we get it? How do we become bold? It comes from their faith in the Savior. Do you have faith in the Savior? When the elders asked Peter, by whose name do you do this? It was in the powerful name of Jesus the Nazarene. It comes from boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. Our boldness comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit before he started talking. And then after the believers prayed together, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. When we meet Jesus, when we accept him as our Savior, when we make him Lord of our life, we're filled with the Spirit. It's the gift of God. It's meant to be used and and you know, not just, oh yes, Holy Spirit, yeah, sure. Grab hold of what's in you. Grab hold of it. It's in every one of us. And the boldness also came through the fellowship of the saints. It says the believers were united in heart and mind. When we come together, it says there'll be signs and wonders. I want that. I want to be a part of that. When we come together, God moves. When his people pray together, he moves. That's how he works. Our boldness comes from our confidence in Christ. The Holy Spirit in us helps us continue with our purpose. And it helps us move forward in God's plan with boldness. But we have to remember who we are. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. That's, a, that's what we're called. We need to hold on to it. We need to you know, hold up a banner from the rafter and say, Lord, we recognize that we're your priesthood. And we're here to... Boldly shout your name. We need to remember who we belong to. We were bought with a price. We belong to the King of Kings. We're the children of God. We need to start acting like it. And we need to remember what has been given to us. The Bible is filled. This book is filled 
with God's promises. But we have to know them. If we don't read the book, if we don't know what they are, then what good is it? We've been given the Holy Spirit as a gift to revive us and to make us bold so we don't shy away from shouting his name the way Debbie's story was today that she shared tonight. She was bold. Zori's story. She was bold in sharing with that man about Jesus. And look what happened. There was hope. Hope in both those stories. That's what this is about. We need to be bold. It's not about going out there and telling someone, you know what, your choices are terrible. If you don't straighten up, you're going to hell. That's not what boldness is. Boldness is about compassion, and it's about sharing the hope of Christ. It's about going up to somebody and saying, hey, I recognize that you're, you're down, and I'm sorry, but hey, I've got a hope that I want to tell you about. That's what this boldness is about. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then the people out there should know it too. It should be undeniable, just like it was for Peter and John. We must remove the veil from our faces. If you're walking with God, there's something special about you. There should be, you know, your face should almost be a glow with the glory of God. You gotta take the veil off so the people out there can see it. So they're drawn to you in a way that says, You're different. But I wanna know more. Tell me more. Because you seem like you have a hope that I don't have. Tell me about it. And that's what boldness is about. That's what evangelism is about. That's what it means. We must be bold in living out our purpose. We must be bold in our prayers. We must be bold in our compassion for others. And we must be bold in our servanthood. And we must be bold with the hope that God's given us through Jesus Christ. And we have to be bold in letting our light shine before men so that they too see the glory of God. God is the source of our love, 
Christ is the proof of love. Servanthood is the expression of love. Boldness is the outcome of that love. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do? We've got to be bold. It doesn't do us any good to sit in here, take it all in, and then go back to our everyday stuff, Sunday through Saturday morning. We have to take that boldness and claim his name, but the hope that's in his name, that's what it's about. Holy Father, thank you. I thank you for your word. I pray that we leave this place with with a boldness, with the courage to be bold, with the courage to declare your name, the courage to share the hope that's in Christ, that we can be like the Samaritan woman at the well, that we leave our water jug behind in excitement to tell the world about you and say, come and see, come and see. Father, I I thank you for Jesus. In his precious name.